Well, I'm glad to be with you all today. Like, uh, like you said, name, my name is Paul. I am originally from St. Louis, Missouri, which is uh, interesting because the area that I'm from in St. Louis, no one uh, knew anything about outside the area until, uh, until a couple of months ago. We're right next to a little town called Ferguson. You've probably heard of that. Never would have thought that anyone outside of St. Louis would ever know about that, but there's a couple people here that are from the same area. I mean, you know, that's pretty cool that, uh, that we got that. So waiting to hear back from Jess on whether, on, uh, you know, I sent her the picture. I'm sure she's freaking out like, why are you talking to me right now? Well, because I'm doing this. Uh, so from St. Louis, but I, I've spent a significant amount of time in Kansas City. Went to uh, UMKC, did a degree in, uh, in music performance as an undergrad. And uh, actually, I like, knew many people that had you know, been out here to Manhattan, but I, I never came here until August. So that I've only been here, this is my second time in Manhattan ever. So you, know, you guys are kind of a big deal because it was to your congregation that I came last time. I only come to Manhattan for church. So, you know, so there you go. Um, that's, that's probably the main reason why most people come to Manhattan, right? Right. I've uh, been at New Hope now for, uh, for about a year, and it's a pleasure to uh, have been making the acquaintance of the, the men in your church that are involved at the presbytery level, and uh, you all have wonderful, godly leaders here. So, you know, don't tell them I said that or they'll let it get to their head. Oh, they're right there. Okay. Uh, who here has heard of the song Father Abraham? Father Abraham, what about Father Abraham? He had many sons, and then many sons... Had Father Abraham, I'm one of them, so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, and we already got several hands up, because we got right on left, yeah, you know, you know that one. <clears throat> so, you know, with, with a song of such magnificence, and you know, it, it's, it's got symmetry. Father Abraham having many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, it's like poetry. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful song, but every, everybody here knows it. Uh, you've at least heard it. Has anybody here actually not heard of that song? Not, doesn't know the song Father Abraham. I only accept that if you're three feet or shorter here. I imagine everyone else has, has at least led it. So you'd expect Abraham to occupy, you know, some importance in the way that we look, we look at Bible stuff. But, but really, a lot of us really don't know too much about Abraham other than there was an Abraham, and he's in the Bible, and I guess he had a lot of kids, and I'm one of them, and maybe so are you, and then here's my left foot. But, uh, but as it turns out, Abraham is sort of a big deal, not just the song, but in, in importance of how the Bible even presents its, itself. So uh, we typically divide the book of Genesis into three rough chunks. Uh, those chunks, uh, there's, there's three, the middle chunk is the longest one, uh, but, but there's like two outer chunks, and you get, you get in the later one, you have Joseph. You guys have heard of probably Joseph in his fancy technicolor dream coat, even though it's not called that in the Bible. Middle section is Abraham and all his The first section is the most famous one. That's where all the big stories come from. If you know anything, you know something from the beginning of Genesis. That's, uh, that's creation. Then you got Adam and Eve. You got the fall. You got Cain and Abel. You got Noah and the flood. You got the Tower of Babel. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens in Genesis 1 through 11. And really, it's just, you know, in, in my Bible, it, that is seven pages. Seven little pages. And that's where all those famous stories come from. But then we got a much bigger section, and that's where the real meat of the story happens. But as we're coming along, if you're, if you're reading Genesis like a story, like any other story that you read, you're thinking like, all right, this is good. Story starts out nice. We got creation. It's perfect. The people, perfect. All right. 
this is a good story. I like I like perfect people. I like I like fruit. I like animals. You know who doesn't like all that stuff? And then the story starts to go bad. It goes bad real quick. We get two chapters of good stuff, and then we get a chapter of some tomfoolery. You know the fall happens, and and really what it does is it brings death and destruction, chaos, hatred, anger, malice, jealousy, all these things just show up in one chapter. We went from perfect to really less than perfect super quick. Uh, and then you think, well, there's, it's got to get better after that, right? Well, then you get lying, you know, Adam and Eve lying about, you know, where the, where the idea came from to eat the thing, eat the fruit. And then after that, they have kids, and you're like, well, maybe the kids will redeem what went wrong with the parents. And then you have the story of the first murder with the, uh, with the children. So they're not much help either. And we move along a little bit farther, and uh, you're thinking maybe somebody will figure this thing out, and we'll have good characters and a hero in the story. And uh, before long, you're told that actually, far from things getting better, they get the worst they could possibly be, and God has to start over. So massive flood, killing all the people in the world except for one family. And then after, <clears throat> after the floodwaters are over, and, uh, and they get out there to, to repopulate the earth, you start to see all the problems in that family. So they're not really much help either. And then it just gets worse again until all of humanity comes together and says, how about we go take the place of God? Let's build a tower and go up to heaven and take God's place. And, uh, and that does not go over well. The, uh, the tower is destroyed. The nations are scattered. And it appears as though this, is, this story is never going to change. This is going to be a bad story. It's just a bummer for, for 11 chapters. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, pick a book that doesn't get better. Does anyone like to read a book that doesn't have a high point? You know, you don't, you, you know if you're watching a movie, you want to see, see something go well. I mean, not everything. Well, I probably shouldn't mention the movie I'm thinking of that's, that's only bad all the time. But you've all seen something, you know, that's probably all bad all the time. And those aren't so much fun to watch. Uh, and that's because we are built to want these stories. We're built to want our stories to go a certain shape. We're built to want a character to do well. So there's no heroes in the first chunk of Genesis. However, now we hit chapter 12. So we're looking at Genesis chapter 12, the first nine verses. And this is where you see a decisive change in the story. Okay, so this is the start of that second section. We're dealing with Abraham and his sons. They're typically referred to as the patriarchs as a group. You get Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, <clears throat> and actually, what's interesting about the story is those other guys do get more press. So there's more Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph in the rest of Genesis than there's Abraham. But... And you read through the Bible, and whenever they go back and they talk about this period, or whenever they talk about the identity of God's people, they go back to one character. And there's one character that's at the center of their identity, and that is Abraham. So what is it about Abraham? And what is it about Abraham's story that's so important? Well, we'll we can find a lot of that out by reading the beginning of the story. So open up to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And uh, before we read, let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to, to be with us. Heavenly Father, we come humbly to your word, knowing that it is only through your spirit moving here in this space among these people today that this is going to make any sense to us. And that we're going to see what it is that you have inspired here for us to take away. Lord, will you teach us about our identity as your chosen people 
And will you teach us uh, as importantly about our mission as your chosen people and what it is that you desire to do through us as a result of what you've given us here. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. So I've been fascinated the last couple of months by watching a, a series of documentaries called Planet Earth, made by the BBC. You know, you've heard of Planet Earth, made by the BBC. They, they were huge um, uh, showpieces for, for home theater when, when HGTVs became a big deal. So a lot of people have these. And if you watch them, it's a wonderful thing that they've accomplished. They took uh, very, very sophisticated cameras for 10 years ago into places where people had never been and to see things that people had never seen. Um, you know, either through helicopters or through mountain climbing, saw all kinds of animals that, and you'll hear the, it'll start to get a little old. The narrative saying, "No one's ever seen the thing that you're about to see before," but we've got it here on camera and we've got it here on video for you for all to see. Um, I really, really recommend like giving Planet Earth a shot. If, you can even watch the first episode for free on Google. And the first episode is uh, it, there was a really amazing little story in there. So when you think of the center of Africa. You, you're either thinking of dense jungle or of desert. So we're, we're going to push you towards desert here. So think of, you know, totally arid desert. You know, they, they show an aerial of this, of, this, of this part, and it's all yellow sand. And they said, this area right here is going to undergo one of the most dramatic transformations you could imagine in any part of the earth. So there's a, there's a dry season and there's a rainy season. And when the rainy, rainy season hits, it's like mo like huge monsoon, heavy rains that hit all over all over this region, and it all pools down into this one area. And it, and they show it filled in when all the rain gets there, and it looks like a river, um, like a, a river delta, and it just completely fills up uh, with lots and lots and lots of water, and all these plants grow up, you know, in just the course of a couple of days or a couple of weeks and it, it goes from complete green uh, a complete yellow desert to a complete lush oasis right there in the middle of the desert and there's so much life that is absolutely reliant on this thing happening that all the animals and you know hundreds and hundreds of miles around know that at a certain time of the year even though the rains haven't started yet it's time to move it's time to get going so they can go there and so there's huge amounts of, uh, of nomadic creatures that come 
together this place. So they show uh, a herd of elephants going yeah, through. And if you know much about the desert, when storms come up, when windstorms come up, it blows the sand like crazy. If you've ever been to like Arizona, you might see some of these sandstorms or other places in the world. And you can't see a thing. And so elephants will, uh, as you've seen Dumbo, you've seen elephants, they'll link their, their tails and the, and the trunks together and they'll walk in a line. Well, if you're not used to that, uh, you can get really disoriented. So like babies sometimes will get, uh, will get deflected from the group. And so they show one elephant that, that uh, he gets lost. He, he, uh, he loses track of the line that he's moving in and starts to wander away. Now, when the storm dies down, there's no elephants left, but he does see prints. He sees his mother's prints in the sand, and he starts to follow them. But he follows them in the wrong direction. So he got bad guidance. And unfortunately, that elephant story is going to end with his death in the desert. There's no, there was nothing, no resources for him. If he'd gone the other way, he would have survived, but he went the wrong way. So we need guidance too. Just like all those animals needed guidance, they needed to know the right way to go or they were going to, they were going to end up in the desert. We lack the proper guidance too and we go the wrong way. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are people going the wrong way. Is the entire human race going the opposite way from where they were supposed to go. It's like they're walking straight out into the desert. Uh, what people need and what we need is God's special call to tell us the way that we should go. Now, Abram here is the first one to get it. Uh, you have other people in isolation kind of knowing and talking to God, but as far as a wholesale, large group of people, a big project of restoration, here it is. Here's God definitively speaking to one guy and revealing some stuff about himself that gets this project going. And then you have the rest of the whole Bible telling the rest of the story. So, so here's, here's our guidance. If, if you're familiar with the, with the idea of general and special revelation, you know, all people in the world can look out and see the, the uh, sophistication of nature and see God's glory revealed in the heavens and the way that, uh, that natural laws work and all that. But you don't know redemption. You don't know how, how you're supposed to be saved from the guilt that you feel until you start hearing God speak. And for us, that means the Bible. And for Abraham, it meant hearing God's voice. So now redemption is starting. Now, now here's the connection for, for here's how this story is going to turn around. So let's look at some of the things that God is calling out when he calls to Abraham in this passage. All right, the first thing, uh, there's I'm really three things. The first thing is God calls Abraham to a particular faith. Okay, um, <clears throat> Abraham actually does not start in verse 1 of chapter 12. He starts a couple verses before that. You see, you see him show up actually in um, starting in verse 27 of the chapter before. If you're on a phone, hopefully you can flip back without changing the chapter, but you should get a paper Bible anyway. Um, so uh, Abram is uh, introduced as part of the family of a guy named Terah. Now we don't have a song called Father Terah Had Many Sons. Uh, but Terah is the main is, is the name under which this whole story goes. So Terah is Abram's father. Um, his his uh, the the introduction here is that uh, Terah has this family, and Abraham's just one of those. So his claim to fame is who his kid is. Uh, because of where this story is in uh, you know kind of sandwiched in between Tower of Babel, bad story, 
and the beginning of, of, of Abram's narrative, good story, it's possible that they're pointing out that Terah had really no knowledge, actually, of, of God had no knowledge of, uh, of what this grand plan of redemption was supposed to be or even kind of where it came from. Uh, some commentators even speculate that he may, have been, uh, he may have been selling and making idols. But, you know, that's speculation. We, we're not totally sure. But we do know that he is not the main character in this, in this redemptive story. Certainly no one around him is following God. No one in the land they, they eventually settle in is following God. So with Abraham, we can safely assume God is starting something brand new. So Abraham is being called into this particular faith that, as far as we know, no one knows about. As far as we know, there is no knowledge of, the, of this in the land, which is why he has to receive the message audibly from God. So with, with Abraham, God is starting this definitive work. of He's starting to tell people, here's who I am, here's what I call you to, now you go and tell others. Um, now, there's two aspects of this faith that, uh, that it's important to note that Abraham is being called to. Okay, the first one is, is he's being called to faith in this particular God. All right. I, uh, <clears throat> I asked uh, Brian how many folks here were, are, are current college students. How many here are, current, are current in, currently in school, in college, or, or recently? Okay, so a good chunk of you. Um, even if you went to, to Christian school or whatever before you got here, you're familiar with the difficulty there is of being a Christian in any kind of a college environment that isn't, that isn't a Christian college. There is so much of the, of the assumption out there that spiritual stuff, like, like when you read this, this book, you know, even when you're, we're reading this story about Abraham, we can say, is this true? Did it really happen? And they say, well... Sure, if it's true for you, I guess it maybe really happened. But then for somebody else, it, it's something else. And what they've done is they've taken like just the concept of reality and divided it in half. And they've said, there's the real stuff. That's, that's you know, your experiences and you're getting from, you know, the stuff that you see. And then there's the faith stuff. And, that, and they don't follow the same kind of rules. Well, that sort of thinking is completely alien to the Bible. Okay, so it, it, wasn't, it wouldn't have been possible for Abraham to have been you know, following other gods. And then the Lord shows up and speaks to him and says, Hey, you might want to think about adding this thing too. Maybe take some principles out of, out of you know, the stuff I'm going to give you. But you can keep on worshiping whatever gods your father was making. You know, that is completely out of the picture there. So Abraham is being called to a very particular faith, a very exclusive faith. There is something about this that is incompatible with the way that he was going before um, yeah, so, so we need to be called to believe in this God as distinct from other gods. He doesn't mix with other stuff. This is a very particular faith. He's also being called to faith, uh, and this, you know, we divide these things out as separate things, but we can really think of them as together. So he's being called to this particular set of beliefs, and he's also being called to act out in faith in those beliefs. So, he, so God says, you need to leave behind the stuff that you're in. You need to believe behind your situation. Leave your country. Leave your family. Leave the house you grew up in and go. Now, if this was a privatized thing, if this was just Abraham's personal belief, then he wouldn't have to really change much at all other than, I guess, you know, start going to synagogue, which they didn't have. You know, on Saturday morning, but you know he doesn't have to have to change much about his life. Now, there he's really being asked to step out as though there's a reality going on that's greater than himself. 
okay, Abraham is not, all, is not just being called to assent to the existence of this thing and then keep going his own way. He's got to change. Now, he doesn't have a Bible, okay? Important to remember that. When we're reading uh, stories about Bible characters, often they don't have a Bible. So Abraham doesn't have, you know, thousands of years of history uh, and stories to look at of God's faithfulness to people to know that he, he's following someone that's trustworthy. He's just stepping out there. He just hears a voice and it says, leave everything behind. Um, how would you react if you just heard a voice that said, leave all the things behind and go to a new place? A place that you actually might have heard pretty bad stuff about. Canaan didn't exactly have a great reputation in the ancient world. These guys are practicing child sacrifice and temple prostitution and all this. You know, not exactly a place that people are, are, are trying to go. But Abraham has to trust this voice to tell him that, that tells him to leave. Um, in terms of what, what we think about when we think about this leaving, I, I don't want to limit this to say, you know, don't hear that this is saying you all need to leave Manhattan. I mean, Brian would not ask me to come back if I said you all need to leave Manhattan. But a lot of times it's easy for us to look at these sorts of things, and we even look at, you know, Acts where it says that, you know, you need to go into all the world and say, well, I need to go into all the world, or I need to go to, to wherever. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a type here. Okay, we're not, we're not necessarily thinking geographically because uh, when Abraham is called out, he's also given this, uh, commission to bless people and to bless the whole world. And it doesn't say the whole world minus the, minus your hometown. You know, the whole world gets blessed through you, including your hometown. So, you know, we want to, we want to look at this as, as, as big, big picture. Um, so we want to look at this as Abraham has to step out in faith that he will be provided for in his going. Because he is in a place where he knows there is stuff. And he knows there is, this is a place where he's going to be provided for. But he has to go to a place where he doesn't know any of that stuff. He doesn't know that he's going to get things. Now, the promise does not include amenities. So, Abraham, you're going to have a comfortable tent. There's going to be good private synagogue schools out, uh, out in Canaan. You're going to have a hybrid camel that has air conditioning. You know, that stuff's not part of the plan. But, uh, but he does have to believe that he's not going to die in the wilderness as a 75-year-old guy. And that's a, kind of a big deal to be, you know, some of you might have grandparents that uh, they don't like to travel if they get above, you know, 70 years old or something like that if they have, a, if they have some kind of a physical um, problem. But he's, he's being called to do that despite what the risks are. And he knows that even because of his age and even because of all the stuff that's going on with his wife, who's also quite old, and they say, you're going to have a lot of children. And, you know, there's, there's several stories after this of them going, but not really, right? Uh, a lot of that, a lot of skepticism here. But he will be protected. Now, we know this is something that Abraham really struggled with, even though we don't necessarily see it spelled out here, because Hebrews 11, 8 through 12 tells us. So if you want to do some extra homework, Hebrews 11, 8 through 12, it says Abraham left stuff that he knew to go to stuff he didn't know, and that makes him a great hero of the faith. And God actually doesn't leave Abram without provision, even in leaving. In verse 5, it says Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. They set out to go to the land of Canaan. So, uh, you know, we often think of the, the, the great uh, 
noble nobility of being a missionary and leaving behind everything and going out there in faith. And maybe if that's what the call entails, then there's something great about that. But it doesn't usually. Uh, you've, you've probably had several people, I know at least one person in your congregation who's on a summer missions project this summer. Now, they just don't hop in a car and drive to, uh, drive to Alabama. You know, they've got to raise support because they've got to pay for their amenities and all that. So God does provide for his people in the call that he gives them. Okay, all, all of these things, uh, you're called to, to believe in that. If you have a real call from God, believe that he will provide for you in that. Okay, so those are the two aspects of the faith. Faith in the particular God, faith in the provision of the God, which kind of assumes that he exists too. You know, you're not going to get provided for by a God who doesn't exist. Uh, the second aspect of this call I want to look at is that God also calls Abraham to a particular place. Okay? So Abraham is called to start in this one particular place, Canaan. Uh, if you've been around a church much or like even heard some of these Bible stories, you're, you're probably familiar with the word Canaan. You ever heard the word Canaan? Okay? See, like this is, this is like Sunday School Hall of Fame here. Father Abraham hearing about the promised land of Canaan. I'm appealing to the children and all of you. So, uh, so we may wonder what's special about, about Canaan. Okay, if you look from the air, you know, I'm asking you to look at a lot of satellite photographs. It's a, this is a sermon that wouldn't have been possible 20 years ago. Uh, but look at where Israel is on a map. Okay? East of Israel is Saudi Arabia. And you know what color Saudi Arabia is from this guy? Yellow. Uh, in fact, have you, have you ever seen Lawrence of Arabia? Movie Lawrence of Arabia? Learn your classics, people. Anyway, you see Lawrence of Arabia, but there's a part there where they make this daring, you know, journey across like a huge strange, um, swatch of the desert, which they say, if you go out there, you're just going to die. That's just how this thing goes. And that actually hasn't changed. You still, you know, unless you have a car and you're taking a bunch of extra water and all that with you, there's a good chance that you're going to die out there in the desert. Well, so at this time, nobody's going across that desert. But what's northeast of there? Well, the great empires of the of, of the time. Babylon, Assyria, Mesopotamia, you got the, the Indian uh, uh, Indus River Valley people, you've got the uh, the Aryans out there, you've got you know, there's stuff going on in China at this point. And you go west of there, you have the the proto-civilizations that the Greeks uh, are eventually going to uh, come into full, full fruition. Now, south of there, uh, you know, this is no stranger uh, to any of you who read these Bible stories. You got at least Egypt, but there's also other big, uh, um, big empires out there in Africa. Now, there is one thing that uh, there's one area that all these things have in common. If you want to travel between any of these places, you have to go through Israel, or have to go through Palestine, have to go through Canaan. So this is a very strategic point. This is the most fought over plot of land in the history of the world. There has never been a time when it's had, when it's had peace and rest. Someone has always wanted it because of how important it is for even just commerce, even just political reasons. It has a function that's closely related to Abraham's mission. Because <clears throat> okay, you've all heard the phrase, the phrase a city on a hill. You know, you're a city on a hill. Well, uh, Jerusalem's built on a series of hills. It's a very hilly country. That's why there's green and uh, and you know all this stuff goes on there because it's a different kind of climate. It's not desert arid climate. Stuff really grows there. You have a river. There's lots of water. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they have to go through here 
And when they go through here, when the Eastern people or the African people or the Western people are going to go through there, they have to come into contact with the people that live there. They got to go up on these hills to where these, uh, to where these cities and villages are going to be. And they're going to interact there. And the plan here is that the people who live there will bless the people who are coming through. The, the plan is that the way they live their life is going to rub off on these people who come through. Uh, you know, we, the, the, the Jews are given an extensive amount of information, an extensive amount of these laws and parts of their history. And they're told uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that one of the reasons for this is that when people come through and when people see you and when they get to know you uh, as, as this nation, they're going to look at the way that you live. And they're going to look at the, at the religion that you have. They're going to see that your society functions better than theirs does. And what are they going to say about them? They're going to say, blessed is this nation who has their God who is close to them. And he is wise because he's given them these laws to act that way. We're told explicitly they're put in this place to be a city on a hill for a watching world. That all the powers... All, the, all the, the traitors, all the philosophers, all the major stuff that's going to go on in this world, they have to come through, and they're going to see you. So you have to go to this place. You know, if you want to use an analogy, this is like the beach at Normandy for the D-Day invasion. Okay, so you have to get one foothold on one bit of territory before you can take more. Now, a curious thing about, uh, about a a scriptural view of, of land and the earth is that the Garden of Eden was always meant to expand. So Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're told to uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue the earth. And they're meant to take this paradise and cover the whole earth with knowledge of God's glory. And they lost that. And they lost out on the, on the, the plan every time. And when Noah gets out of the ark, he's told to do the same thing. Be fruitful, multiply, fill and subdue the earth. And they fail because all the people end up being rotten again. Well, here's where they're, they're, they're putting a stake in the ground. And they're like, all right, this is the spot. Here is the new staging ground for redemption. This place, Israel, is going to be what you are now going to expand to fill the whole earth uh, with knowledge of God and his glory. Uh, a way that we so the the illustration I, I've, I've used for this before is uh, like if you're building a new church, which hey, you're buying a new church, you know. But if any of you have been part of a church that has done a building project before, uh, there's one I know in St. Louis that uh, has been renting these offices, and they own the field out behind the building that of the offices that they rent, and they finally got the money and they're ready to begin the building project. So they cleared it all away. All the rubble, you know, finding all this building stuff buried in the ground. They have to clear it all away to make themselves a level spot and start to build it. And that community has really taken note that there's a new church going up in the middle of their, in the middle of their, their little town. It's a little town called Kirkwood. And uh, right there in the middle is, is this new church building. And they have been, you know, getting a lot of requests for people that say, when your church is done, can we rent a room from you? Uh, we'd like to have uh, this, this community sort of oriented uh, meeting that we have have once a week. Can we rent a room from you? Uh, so they have to prepare that ground to get ready, uh, and people will take notice. People will use that as as a that church building is going to be a blessing to that community. 
uh, and that ground needs to be cleared first. This is a, a, one of the, the ways that we understand what happens to Canaan after they finally do get over there and take it, is it has to be cleared of the rubble. It has to be cleared of the sin. So when you read later on in Joshua and Judges, and they say that you have to wipe out all the inhabitants of the land, that's what's happening. It has to be cleared of all of the imperfections uh, that, that, are, that are there before you can actually get redemption started. So I just want you to think about being faithful to the place that you're in. Because the place that you're in, believe it or not, Manhattan, Kansas, or if you're visiting from wherever else it is you're coming from, that's your spot. That's your little piece of the creation that you are called to take knowledge of God and spread out from there. That's your spot where you are supposed to bless the people that come to you, that, that, that come into contact with you. So think about where you are and think about what, you, what it is that you can be doing to engage and, and claim, claim that territory and say, this is my little piece of creation that, uh, that I am called to be a steward of. Okay, so we have those two things. He's, he's been called to a particular faith. Abraham is being called to a particular faith, and so are we. Being called to a particular place, go to a particular place, and so are we. It's the place where you are. And the third one is, is he's called to a particular mission. Okay, and the mission is this. Uh, verse 2, it says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you because you're a swell guy. Uh, you know, that's an older translation there, but uh, no. It says, I will bless you and make your name great, not because you're a swell guy, but so that you will be a blessing. So you will be a blessing. I will bless those who come into contact with you and bless you. And then when people dishonor you and they come into contact, then they will receive my curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so these people are being blessed by given knowledge of the true God, the thing they're supposed to do. They're being blessed by given, being given this provision. And we don't often think of land as being a big deal now that, that we have lots of jobs that don't, require us to you know cultivate land but land was wealth and still is in some ways wealth but here in in western culture we've lost sight of that a little bit actually i guess i'm here on here in agricultural town you probably know that better than i do that land is wealth so they're being provided for tremendously and being given this 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 great land and now they're being uh they're being provided for by by getting blessing not because of their merit, not because, you know, Abraham, I just, I just like you guy. And so I'm just going to give you some stuff. You know, that's the way that we like to think of, of, of receiving blessing, but he gets blessing and it is conditional upon his being a blessing to others is it's a, this is like, like a river moving through and he's like a stop point on the river. You get the water and you send the water on. In fact, uh, a, a way that, that uh, we often think of this, and I got this illustration from, uh, from John Piper, got to be intellectually honest here, but uh, you all heard of the Dead Sea, probably heard of the Dead Sea. If, you, if nothing else, you know, the, uh, you know the song, the Dead Sea. Um, <clears throat> but here, here's, here's the situation of the Dead Sea. The Jordan River is the eastern border of, of Israel. And it flows roughly downhill, like all rivers do. And at some point, it goes down. The Dead Sea is the lowest point, uh, the lowest point above, you know, that's not underwater, uh, of the whole earth. And <clears throat> it's so low that there's nowhere else for the water to go. So all this water is going downhill, and, all the, and, and it winds up in this, like, basin here. The, that's the Dead Sea. 
And there's there's outlets along the way, and as water you know flows along, it picks up stuff. It picks up you know minerals and stuff from the soil, and it gets a lot of salt in it, a lot of salt and other minerals. And by the time it gets down to the to the Dead Sea, there's nowhere else for it to go, and it's very 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 hot there. It's a that's a big desert part here, and the water is evaporating. And there's so much salt and so much minerals and everything that have been brought in here by all this water that there's even mounds of salt that like come above the surface of the water. Right? If you've ever been to Israel, if you've ever been to the Dead Sea, you can float in it. Like, you can't sink in the water. You, are, you cannot sink. You will float even more than you will in like Great Salt Lake because it's about four times more salty than the Great Salt Lake. Uh, people actually go there uh, on like health spa vacations because they say the water has uh, you know, healthful properties. But <clears throat> that's above the water. Now below the water, do you know what lives in the Dead Sea? It's in the name. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing lives in a Dead Sea. It all dies because if, uh, if fish last long enough to not like get out of that stream of water by the time they get in there, they'll choke. Well, I mean, choke. I, I'm not a fish person, so I don't know what you'd say, but they, let's say they choke on the salt. They can't live in that, in that, uh, that degree of saltiness, that, that amount of alkalinity. So all, uh, because the Dead Sea doesn't allow any water to get out, it becomes this like terrible place if you happen to be a water-dwelling animal. And it's like that for blessing. If we, you know, shut ourselves off on one side and just get stuff, and we're not actually involved in giving out, if you're involved in ministry or discipleship in any way, and you know people that are, this, that are just there to kind of like, you know, suck from the ministry and aren't giving out, you know you're not going to see them there very long. Because there is a stop, there is a there's a cork stuck in their in their life. We have to uh, let blessing flow out from us in order to be able to get more, in order to be able to enjoy the full um, the full enjoyment of this whole process of giving and getting blessing. So Abraham and his whole family are actually called to turn the blessings that they get and that we get, I'm including us and Abraham's family, into blessings for all the rest of the families of the earth. So God blesses his people, and he, this is not a general thing given to all people. This is like, this is you all. If you're all here in church, and you're included in this family of Abraham, his call to you is, I'm going to give you blessings. I'm going to give you knowledge of God. I'm going to give you provisions. You're going to have employment. You're going to have, um, you know, all these things that you can give to other people. Uh, <clears throat> not that you give your job to somebody else, but you, you know, you get financial benefit. And you're called absolutely to give that away so people look at you and they see the face of God who's a giver. So even think, without being really specific on, on like telling you this is what you need to be thinking about giving, just think about the ways in your life that you've been blessed. Everything that you've received is a blessing that you should be thankful for, that we do thank God for in our prayers. Every one of those things is an opportunity to give to someone else, is an opportunity to give blessing to someone else. So realize that God's purpose in blessing you the, the, really the reason why you got blessing ever to begin with is so that you could help give it away to others and be the face of God to some of these people. So those are some of the things that Abraham is being called to. That faith, uh, being called to a particular faith, called to a particular place, called to a particular message, um, mission. Uh, through him, God is going to do enormous things on a worldwide scale. He's going to do enormous things on a, I mean, on a worldwide scale. I mean, this is page 9 of my Bible, and you know, the Bible is famous for being pretty long. I got over a thousand pages in here, and lots of stuff is going to be expanding all over the whole world. We're going to have many, many, many more heroes and villains come and participate in this story. And ultimately, we, will, we want to look at this and we want to say, you know, our story was looking really bad, and we needed a hero to come along. 
right? We, we, we really ache for that hero. Now, Abraham comes along. Now, is Abraham the hero? Is Abraham the hero? What did Abraham do in this story? Abraham got talked to in this story, right? He is not initiating any of this stuff. Abraham doesn't like walk up on Mount Zion and say, all right, I've heard that stuff is happening here. I volunteer for the project. Now, Abraham is called out by the God who is the hero of the story and who is the hero of all of history. And a redemptive plan is starting here. And a redemptive plan that starts here to, to bless all the nations and we know that that doesn't end up happening for quite some time. And, and Abraham is even being given forgiveness for, for his transgressions, for his, his times of ignorance and all the other boneheaded stuff that he does in this book. And that's all based on, uh, on things that will happen later. Now, Jesus is the hero of Abraham's story because we are looking forward to him for the fulfillment of all these promises. Jesus will bring... Uh, healing to the nations. Jesus will be blessed to be a blessing to all others. Jesus will give up everything for the sake of others. Jesus is the one in, in, that Abraham is even looking forward to as being the, the part of his family that will bless the entire world. Now, Abraham will need things to get that done. He's still waiting at this point for so much of the promise. He's old, he has no kids, and, uh, and he has to wait for that. So we, we need to cultivate patience in seeing God's plan. So we will learn all of those things as we look for these aspects of God's call in our lives. Let us pray. Lord, we, I'm just in awe sometimes of the amount of stuff that's even just here in nine verses. And uh, Lord, it's too much, it's too much for any of us to do. Uh, we cannot be completely faithful to all the things you're calling us to. We, uh, we can't even remember all the ways that we're supposed to apply this. But Lord, you have put this burden on us by communicating to us in your word. It's just this little story that, that many of us have, have never given a second thought to. Lord, we know that here is, is the marching orders for the people of God. Here is the marching orders for those who would be called by your name. So Lord, we ask for your spirit to be upon us and help us to be faithful in how it is to be carried out to be faithful in how it is that that we are to receive these blessings and pass them on and lord will you show us by your spirit to be faithful when we are examined according to these things lord will you feed us uh, by more of your word and by more of the sacrament that uh, that lord you will be with us you you don't just call us to these things and set us set us loose with just a few guidelines lord but your very presence is with us and, um, Lord, we pray that by Jesus we will see it done and that you are glad to use us. We pray this in his name. Amen.